How you doing, Rob? I'm very good. I'm very good. How are you? Not too bad. How's things this week? What you been up to? Trying to cram in movie watching amongst lots of other stuff. Oh, go I on then. To, I managed to watch one additional film, which I always think is a, a win, which was a really cool British film called Rocks, which is a film about a young teenage girl who's abandoned by her mum and is, she's just left to look after a younger brother in this tower block. And it's about her struggle to look after her, her younger brother and ending up on the streets. And it's quite bleak, but it's done in quite a, I don't know, there's parts of it that are quite uplifting. It's got quite a lot of critical acclaim. And it's, mm-hmm. it's one of those films that's almost documentary-like. You know, those films where, you know, a lot, a lots of probably first-time actors that had that feel about it. And it was only an hour and a half. But it was heartbreaking, but it was very, very well done. And it's the kind of film I would have gone and seen in the cinemas, but obviously that's still not happening. Yeah, I didn't watch any films, but I did watch the uh, new episode of The Walking Dead. That's back, which I absolutely love, The Walking Dead. So it's good to see that. Really, I was I was also reading Empire magazine this week about Chadwick Boseman. On Netflix, there is a tribute, and I watched a bit of that. And I, there's a couple of films that I was trying to find that's out there, like Da Five Bloods, which I haven't watched. There's Forty Two, which I haven't watched as well, and just catch up with some of those. It's such a tragic loss. Died quite a few weeks ago now. We've not really mentioned him at all, but I loved Black Panther, and it is on my list, so it will come up at some point. But I wanted to to really have a look back and see what else he had done during his lifetime. Now he has got a pretty amazing back catalogue because I hadn't really seen any of his films prior to Black Panther. There was one film in particular. James Brown. There was a James Brown film. I'm really intrigued to see that. Yeah. Anyway. Right. So, So, should we talk about Leon? Oh, we do. There's lots to talk about with Leon. This came out in 1994, directed by Luc Besson and written by Luc Besson, starring Jean Reno, Gary Oldman and an 11-year-old Natalie Portman. So we have Leon, played by Jean Reno, who is an Italian immigrant who fled Italy, having committed a crime there. And he now resides in New York City. And from a very early age, he's kind of taken in and has been working for this mob boss called Uncle Tony played by Danny Aiello. He lives in, in this pre-ramshackle New York apartment with his favourite little plants. And you very quickly understand that he is a hitman, but I would almost say he's a hitman with a heart, really. You, you start to see that very early on. So he lives in this apartment. He lives next door to this girl, Matilda, who he occasionally speaks to and whose father is a drug dealer working with these crooked DEA officers led by the totally unhinged drug addict Norman Stansfield, played by Gary Oldman. One day when she's out getting groceries, these crooked agents storm the building and her apartment and murder her entire family in what is really a completely botched drug deal. And when she comes back and walks in, on this massacre, she has no choice but to walk straight down the hall to the only place she can go, which is Leon's apartment. So Leon opens the door and in effect, in doing so, he lets Matilda into her life. And soon enough, he's teaching Matilda how to be a professional hitman in order for her to learn enough to get revenge on these crooked cops who've murdered her family. 
So she starts to build up all these skills. And whilst doing so, she has this quite strange relationship with Leon. It's not a fatherly relationship. She almost sees Leon as someone who is a a romantic partner. We'll talk a lot more about that later because it's one of the most intriguing things about the Mm. film. So, yeah, she picks up all these skills as a hit man or hit girl and she goes for revenge one day to get Stansfield and all of his team at the DEA department offices. But she's captured and Leon learns of this, comes and saves her. And really, this begins the ultimate theme in the movie. Will Leon and Matilda live happily ever after now that she's opened up his heart or will the police intervene? That's pretty much the crux of it. I don't think I probably have seen this film since around the time this came out, maybe. Yeah, wow. And what struck me most about it was, yes, I liked all the things about it that I liked the last time. I love Leon's character. I love the fact that he's this kind of quirky, almost quite mentally slow type of character with a lot of charm. I love his outfit. I love underneath this trench coat, he's got all this weaponry. He carries around this almost vintage like suitcase with all his weapons when he goes out on a job. I remember it as a really kind of interesting relationship between the two. It is ultra violent in places. I I forgot. I mean, there's a particular set piece at the beginning when her family are murdered. And there's also the set piece at the very end as well. And almost bookended in that is this strange relationship between the two. And that's what really, really stood out for me. This kind of sexually charged, strange theme that runs through this film where, yes, Leon really takes to Matilda, but more in a fatherly way. And yet yeah. from and yet from Matilda's point of view, who's a twelve year old who's acting like a, you know, an eighteen year old, she's actually pursuing him almost as a partner, which obviously is quite uncomfortable to watch at times. What I found really interesting about this film in the original script, Matilda, who is aged around that kind of 13 or 14 in the script, they become lovers. But Luc Besson cut that from the film after some very negative screenings of specific scenes that were played out in the States. I don't remember interpreting it in that way at all when I saw it the first time. I saw their relationship as just quite funny and quirky. What's interesting is when I read about this, they said that certain scenes were cut from the release. And But when I was watching it, I thought, well, hang on, this feels like I've just watched the scene that they're saying was cut. And so it was very interesting to find out, and again, this is just kind of delving into the, the, the trivia behind this, that the scenes were put back in at a later date for the European release, and it's what you get on the DVD today. So I believe the version that I watched, and I think is the version that went out to the European audience, does still have a lot of those scenes in, and it really jarred with me. It made me feel, I don't know about you, it's the one thing that stood out. To be honest, it's the one thing I'll take away from the film, which is really strange given it didn't have any impact on me the first time around. So I don't know if it's a, a cultural thing that all these, you know, these years on, you look at that, relationship not in a just a funny quirky this is an odd thing Mm, you look mm. upon it now as something that is a little bit dark and strange and weird and creepy what did you think yeah so I I did think that Leon was more like a fatherly figure to her and Matilda 
it was her when she spoke about it to the the guy at the hotel, for example. She was pretending that Leon was her boyfriend and then he gave a few funny looks. It was that moment, I think, that's when we're like going, oh, that's a bit strange. But yeah, I don't think he saw that. But at the same time, there was a few situations where they were trying on clothes and it was a bit like she's being a bit risque and he felt uncomfortable. You could see that. I think she was playing to it. She was the one that was doing this. So maybe she wanted more than that. Or I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of insecurities, isn't it, really, what some women do? I think that's exactly right. It felt like it was all coming from Matilda's side and, and Leon mm. was almost trying to push it away. But he also, you know, he also had feelings in a fatherly way. So it was yeah. just a strange kind of dynamic. But interesting, those, that scene where she's trying on the clothes, mm. Besson deliberately didn't rehearse those because he was conscious <laughs> at how awkward it, it was. So he wanted to capture that in terms of getting the expression from Jean Reno uh, to be, you know, more genuine. Right. Which I thought but she came out as um, Madonna, Marilyn, didn't she? And Marilyn Ma- Monroe. Was it Madonna? Right. <laughs> so I, I kind of forgotten a little bit about that, actually. I mean, this film, I have to say, I do like a stealth assassin hitman film, but I wouldn't want to come across one at all, obviously. But they're usually quite a good watch. But I mean, this film is, is 26 years old now. And I thought I'd seen it. And I was getting confused, actually, with Ronan, which is another Jean Reno film, but I got mixed up. So I haven't actually, this first time I watched this film, I thought I had watched it, but I think I've just seen lots of snippets of film footage or maybe read some of the reviews at the time. But yeah, I, I hadn't watched it. So it was, it was good to, to watch this film this week. It was 15 and it was, you know, just under two hours long. So kind of a perfect length as well. And we see quite a very young Gary Oldman in this film, but he's very unhinged, I have to say, especially when he took these drugs at certain occasions. He kind of had that moment where he turned his head, he just saw his back of him. And it's almost like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde moment where you thought he was going to turn into something. Obviously, it's not a sci-fi or a scary film like that. And you don't see that. It was just very odd, his behaviour, I found. What did you think about that? I loved it. Gary Oldman's such an amazing character actor that, yeah, when he takes the pill and there's, yeah, he stretches himself and it's almost feel like his bones are creaking. And then he makes some strange kind of like, you know, weird yeah. sigh and hissing noise. And it's, it's, it works so well because it's, it's the first thing he does almost. And, and you're already like, oh my God. I mean, he's a great actor, but I, I wasn't sure whether I liked him in this film at all. I, I just found him a bit odd kind of character and he had so much support and backing from the police and the DEA and they like snap his fingers and they come. And I was thinking that wouldn't happen, really. Totally agree with that. I think for me, you're not supposed to like him. And so from that point of view, he's fantastic. He's horrible. He's horrible. He's unpredictable. He is horrible. And... But you're right. I mean, it's comedic in some ways because he's actually asked in terms of like getting back up. He says, I want everyone. And he shouts it. Yeah. And then they turn up. And they literally, and I don't know whether it's almost over the deliberately over the top because you're right. Like it seems like the entire city's police turns up and yeah, you think that's not going to happen. But also, it's one of those typical films where you've got about 300 professional SWAT team type members with all these skills. And of course, pretty much all of them are outwitted by one man. So Mm. I think there is a bit of that. It's kind of that wouldn't really happen. But most of the film isn't like that. So that's why I think it jarred a bit in places, Mm. specifically with with that scene you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I mean... 
this is Natalie Portman's first film as well. And blimey, she did a incredible job. And she does still the show, but there is a, a good balance with her and Jean Reno, I think, in this. And I wouldn't say that Gary Oldman was particularly the lead in this at all either. I think she was about 13, 14 when they were filming this. And as you mentioned, she was playing 11 or 12-year-old girl. And it's interesting, her name is called Matilda, because almost strangely like the Roald Dahl's Matilda, she lives with a very mean parents, badly treated, her whole family, apart from a little brother who she protects, are against her. It's almost like, is there a little thumbs up for Roald Dahl here for Matilda? I mean, she's... Natalie Portman's, you know, done loads of stuff. She's she's been in Heat, Mars Attacks, Star Wars Episode One, Phantom Menace, and went on to do three more after. She's done Closer, Beef of Vendetta, and she won an Oscar for Black Swan in in twenty eleven as well. And she's been up for nominations for other things like Jackie Kennedy. She played her as well in 2016. I mean, she started off at a very young age and she's continuing to shine. And I think she will continue to do that going forward. You kind of felt sorry for her, really. But at the same time, there was that weird side that she was flirting with Leon. But it was definitely insecurities, I felt. But the poor girl, she was going through hell. But in a strange way, you see this in quite a few US films where there's a little bit of lacking an empathy from a, a child's perspective. You would think this child would be absolutely devastated. Her family had been destroyed, really. And you kind of see go through the, the motions of the film and it, she's kind of like shrugging it off. And I find that very bizarre. You would think she would be absolutely devastated, but she just kind of carries on as normal. She has one reflection where she goes back to her apartment and gathers some some bits and bobs. But maybe it's because it's the audience they're trying to target. Maybe it's a male audience that they're looking at uh, or people that just like those kind of hitman films. I don't know. And maybe the empathy side wouldn't necessarily be of importance to, to those people. I don't know. I think you're absolutely right. I is a really good point. I thought exactly the same thing. I thought the speed at which she had her entire family decimated, mm. I mean, albeit a family that you know, was it was a bit of a broken family and her father abused her. But nonetheless, her sister her, uh, and her, her young brother, I mean, he's only a tiny little boy. The speed at which she kind of says, I've got a plan. I'm going to take care of you and all your groceries and you're going to teach me how to be a hitman. <laughs> and know. just totally drills down on it. Yeah. And then yeah. is, has to start this infatuation. I totally agree. It seemed unrealistic, but I think it might well be that it's a conscious decision. They just didn't want to dwell on that. They wanted to get straight into the crux of the story. I, I mean, yeah. I actually personally thought that... The most touching scenes in the film where they are together in moments of distress, for example, I actually felt they would have been far more impactful if they hadn't gone with this weird infatuation theme and the story was literally her crying out for a father and it was just that. It was just a, it, it could have just been a really charming daughter father relationship with none of this weird stuff, which for me just got in the way of what comes. No. No, I think it would have been quite more interesting if she did actually turn into this major assassin. It would have been shocking, but she you didn't really see her being a hit, man, hit girl, let's call her, at all. It, she, he taught her a few things, but I don't recall her actually doing anything. No, you're right. She got trained up, but she but never... Nothing happened. Yeah, nothing, she, you're right. It's almost like there should be a Leon 2. Well, there was a sequel planned. 
because Luke Besson had a sequel and wanted to bring back Natalie Portman to reprise her role years later. Uh, but it never happened yeah. because he left his production company and it never, uh, it just never materialised. There's another film script we can write, Rob. I don't, absolutely. <laughs> I have to say, I did like Jean Reno's character. He was nice. He was quite entertaining. And I'm surprised we haven't seen more of him, to be honest. I mean, he has been in French Kiss, Godzilla, Mission Impossible, Pink Panther. But then there's some not so great films or not as well-known films. And he's also been more recently in Five Bloods. And I mentioned Chadwick Boseman earlier. He was in that as well. So I'm surprised we're not seeing more of him. He's maybe in the older gentleman generation now, let's say. So I'm hoping he's not retired, let's just say. If he's done five, five Bloods, I think there's more to come from him maybe, you know, next year and onwards. One of the big films he was in before this, although it's, a, it's probably a film that's grown more since, is The Big Blue, which I absolutely adore. It's on my list, actually. And so I kind okay. of got to know Jean Reno through watching mm. The Big Blue. But you're absolutely right. I think he kind of falls into that generation where he hasn't really, you know, it's a, it's a shame because he's a very unique type of character with a real presence about him. What I thought was interesting is that I remember watching a film called Nikita, which is about a female assassin that Luc Besson produced a few years before this, which was a real Euro thriller film, very, very stylish. And it was the final shootout in Nikita. There was a small character who comes in and like cleans up and Besson got the idea for Leon from this particular character in Nikita. And so he explored the character and wrote it up. The only reason, though, still the film got made was because it was like a filler. Because at the time, he had already started working on The Fifth Element, but the whole production of that film was delayed because of Bruce Willis's schedule. So rather than chuck out the production team and lose the momentum of everything, he wrote Leon. And it took him 30 days to write the script and they shot it in 90 days. So it's strange that it was almost a film that probably was made only because of the delay to The Fifth Element. And yet it is considered by many people to be a superior film to The Fifth Element. But anyway, it's always interesting to see how these films come about. I mean, I I think because, you know, all the interior scenes of Leon's apartment were shot in Paris, the exteriors were shot in New York. And I think with the soundtrack, which I think was really effective, and of course, purely just the presence of Jean Reno, it does have that kind of Euro feel to it, like a hybrid Euro-New York film, which I really, really liked. And I do think it had a lot of, even though, yes, it was particularly violent, it did have a charm to it, I think, purely because of the, yeah. that central relationship. I love the way he protected the plant every time. It's amazing, fight. isn't it? <laughs> he said it's his best friend because it doesn't. It never complains. It never talks back. Yeah, really good. So, did I like it or did I not? And I'm not sure. I'm kind of on the bench here a little bit. I was really surprised. For me, I I was really surprised to see on IMDb an 8.5 rating for this film because I felt there was quite a few errors, not errors, well, not errors, more I didn't understand why certain things were happening with the likes of Gary Oldman. I thought that he was a bit unhinged and his character was a bit over the top and didn't need to be. So for me, I'm going to give this, I mean, it is iconic, I have to say. You see a picture of Natalie Portman and Jean Reno in this film, you know it's Leon. But for me, I'm going to give it 7.5. It's still a good score, but it's not my favourite. Yeah, I do have similar opinions on this, I have to say. I mean, I know I keep banging on about it, but that weird theme of infatuation between like a 12-year-old and a 
grown man I found unsettling and yeah I couldn't get past that and you're right there was the odd thing that just seemed unbelievable it took me a while to realize that Gary Oldman's character was a policeman because yeah. for all intents and purposes he's presented as a like a drug baron yeah and how he's got control over it seems the entire city's police when clearly he's a drug addict and you know it's clear as day was a bit strange yeah, and his team were a bit sort of way out, a bit sort of hippie-like, and they yeah. do sort of... I've got one thing to say, actually, before I give it the score, because I was watching this, and there was a character, which was one of Gary Oldman's crew, like you say, one of them had dreads, and he looked like a complete kind of hippie-type dreads and glasses and these 70s-style clothes. And when I saw him, I thought, that reminds me of Gary Oldman's character of Drexel in True Romance. And what I found really strange is the fact that he was in a film playing opposite Gary Oldman. And so I literally, about half an hour before we start the podcast, I went on to True Romance and looked at the whole trivia thing at IMDb. And sure enough, Gary Oldman based his character of Drexel on an actor named Willie One Blood, with whom he appeared in Leon. So there you go. <laughs> um, I'm with you. I'm going to give it seven and a half as well. I did think about this for quite a while and I just decided, you know, I agree with you. It's iconic. A big portion of this is fantastic. But for me, yeah, just a few elements that just didn't quite sit right, but still a great watch. Yeah, I would agree with that. So on to Juno. Juno. Or Juno, <laughs> almost, you could say Leon to Juno. So Juno was released in 2007. It stars Ellen Page, probably one of her earlier big films, let's say. Michael Cera, Alison Hanney, J.K. Simmons, Jennifer Gardner and Jason Bateman. So packed A-listers there, really. Great script, written by Diablo Cody and directed by Jason Reitman won an Oscar for, for script in 2008. And it's a coming-of-age film, but in a very speedy fashion, let's just say, because we have Juno McGuff, who is played by Ellen Page. She has a one-night fling with a long-term friend, I would call him, not boyfriend, friend, who is Paulie Bleeker, great name, played by Michael Cera. And she basically falls pregnant after that incident, which you hear so many teenagers do when they think they're going to be fine on one occasion. Basically follow her then through four different seasons through her pregnancy. She also feels that she wants to not keep the baby and finds a suitable adoptive parents for the baby, played by Jennifer Gartner and Jason Bateman. And she's very well supported by her stepmom, played by Alison Haney. And her dad is played by J.K. Simmons. And J.K. Simmons, you see in a completely different role to what we saw him in, in Whiplash, a much nicer character. And I think Alison Hanney and J.K. Simmons look great in this. They work off each other and they've got a great connection. Plus, we see great connection between Paulie Bleeker and also Juno McGuff, so Ellen Page and Michael Cera. And I kind of love this film because it's got quite a lot of charm to it. It's also, as I mentioned, got great script and the music is quirky. Everything's a bit quirky about it as well. And it's arty. I like that kind of artistic feel to it. But I would say this is probably one of the best ones because I've seen Little Miss Sunshine and some other ones and I don't feel they come across as well as this. So 
I really like it and you probably already know what kind of score I'm going to give it at the end of the day. So what do you think about the film? Yeah, I loved it. I've only seen it once before, again, probably around the time when it came out. So I was looking forward to revisiting it right from the opening title sequence, which is this beautifully animated sequence that seamlessly takes us into the first shot of the film. And this really, I don't know, I'd call it like quirky and quaint guitar strumming whimsical type soundtrack that is littered with these fantastic tracks it just gives it this real spirit and charm you could call it edgy or one of these offbeat indie spirited comedies and it's interesting you mentioned little miss sunshine because i remember watching little miss sunshine and i remember it feeling like it's the first type of film like that just a very similar tone to it but this is probably the one that in some ways made more of an impact. I think the first thing you kind of notice when you watch it is just how smart talking Juno is. It almost reminds me of sometimes you watch these TV sitcoms in the States where the kind of language that's coming out of a teenager's mouth is almost so smart and funny and witty. It's almost not really that realistic. But she just really pulls it off because the sense of humour is so kind of grounded. There's so much sarcasm in it. You can't help but warm to her. But it's quite clear that, to me anyway, I thought what worked so well about it is I felt that most of the time she was putting on an act, like almost putting on a persona of who she thought people wanted to see. There was a really key moment for me where she has to tell her parents that she's pregnant. And obviously she's petrified about it, but she has a very, very good relationship with them. And her dad says to her, I thought she was the kind of girl who knew when to stop. And she replies, I don't think I know the kind of girl I am. And I thought that perfectly summed up her. She's Mm. incredibly quick-witted, incredibly confident. She's got an answer for everything, seems very intelligent. And yet, just underneath the surface is someone who is actually quite normal uh, and is someone who has feelings that she probably doesn't let out. Because the way she treats her pregnancy is almost quite businesslike okay, well, I'll go and get an abortion. She goes to this organisation that talks about abortion and she just doesn't really like the atmosphere of the place and just walks out and just discards that straight away, like the smell of it or something. And then she goes to find an ad in the paper and immediately finds these parents who can adopt. And literally the next two days later, she's round there and gets the deal done and then obviously strikes up this interesting relationship. Here we go again about another relationship with a big age gap where... Jason Bateman's character, who's called Mark, and he's a stay-at-home composer, used to be a wannabe rock star, and now he kind of produces tracks for TV commercials. So he stays at home. The wife's always out and about. The wife is clearly seems to be slightly different to him. Yeah, quite Juno, prim and proper, isn't she? That's sort of... right. Juno latches onto him because she goes to the toilet, spots his music room with the guitars and he comes up and before you know it they're kind of like jamming together and then from that moment she just drops into the house a lot partly to update them on maybe a baby scan or how she's doing but really she's there because she's in some way drawn to this guy mark and again it's quite strange in some senses because you're not quite sure what the motives are behind that I don't think, again, (laughs) I think he saw it as, oh, she's coming over quite a lot. She must like me. The last time that she comes over, he sees the car pull up and he's like really excited and wants to tell his news and, and he wants to see her. 
and whereas she's just excited because she loves music and thinks he's quite cool and I think that's it really I think you're right and in, in some ways it is the reverse of Leon yeah Yes, it is. You're, yeah. yeah, you're right. He's the one that seems to mm. have ulterior motives, or I don't know. He, he, for me, as soon as you meet the guy, he just feels a little bit creepy. Um, <laughs> but you're never really quite sure. He's got that strange smile that you don't really know what's going on behind behind mm. the smile. And then, of course, when he suddenly announces once they've made this arrangement that he's going to going to be talked to parents, that he's going to leave his wife, and that particular moment is the moment that solidifies exactly what we've just been saying. Well, Gina's like, what? You can't yeah. do that. You can't do that. As in, like, you've totally misjudged why I've come over yeah. and, like, you, yeah. you, you know, what, what's going on? You can't do this to me. And I think that particular scene where she leaves their house, having just learned that he's planning to leave his wife, even though she's drawn to him rather than the mother, that's what we're led to believe. And she drives yeah. off and she pulls over and you just get this shot of her side of the road in the car. And it's outpouring of emotion and tears. And I think for me, it's those two moments in the film. Well, there's three really. The moment where she says to her dad, I don't know what kind of girl I am. It's almost like her actually being herself and saying what she really means. That outpouring of emotion, which is almost like, oh my God, how have I, you know, how have I got myself into this situation? And then there's the scene where she's almost trying to be a bit too cool for school and telling um, Paulie, Michael Serra's character, that, you know, the one night stand was just that. He's just a friend, even though he makes advances of her and hopes that they're going to be boyfriend and girlfriend. And she's a bit cool about it. She eventually shows her true colours and approaches him on the sports field and says that she thinks she's in love with him. There's a really, really lovely moment because Michael Sears' character is so quiet, awkward, unassuming person. And especially the way he dresses, you'll see it on the poster for the film, you know, he's in his, in his sports, sports, in his sports gear. Sports shorts. Sports <laughs> shorts, exactly. This kind of tall, skinny guy. Um, but he's just such a nice bloke. And obviously she recognises that. And she says, oh, you know, I think I'm in love with you. You're so cool and you, you don't even have to try. And he says, actually, I, I try really hard. I thought it was really quite amusing. That <laughs> I have to say, some of the quotes are, are brilliant. So yeah. I've, got, I've got, wow, your shorts are especially gold today. My mum used, used colour safe bleach. Go, Carol. <laughs> That's one of them. And when she's about to have the baby, either I just peed myself or um, thunder cats are go. <laughs> <laughs> so some of them are just like they're just they're just really cool comments um, yeah, I know. To make and well. they have that curse there's that curse kind of phrase where they say Phuket Island which is like <laughs> their way of saying so his house smells of soup and you kind of think yeah you've been to people's houses where they've got a certain smell aroma and you're like yeah maybe it was soup you kind of resonate it, a lot of stuff what they're saying is it resonates with you it and, does it does and I think I mean in some ways because obviously I can't possibly imagine what it's like to be in Juno's place and, and being pregnant and all the rest of it. Although I can't relate to that, it still resonated with me. Her character mm. resonated with me. But I imagine if you have been through something like that, or maybe you're watching it and you are, you know, mm. you're the same age, you're just a teenager. I think you'd get so much probably more from the film maybe than, than we would. Yeah. I mean, I think Leia as well, her best friend was really cool as well and really supportive, uh, played by Olivia Thurby. Just the, the little bonds was lovely. Uh, you know, you got your par- the parents, you've got Paulie and Juno, and you've got Juno and Leah, and it just, they work really well. It was almost like they do know each other really well, but obviously, you know, this is probably the first film they've done all together. They all just feel so comfortable mm. around each other, don't mm. they? It's like mm. they know each other back to front, like you would know your best friend back to front, and you mm. don't have to be even think 
think about what you say. You just say whatever you want to say and it's everything's fine, even in front of her parents. But you're right. There just seems to be charm and a real authenticity that just oozes from this. Mm-hmm. And, and it is it is laugh out loud funny in places. It's heartbreaking in short bursts. But all of the characters are super engaging. And interestingly, I got a comment from Sarah because she was watching this the same night as me, where she realized that it wasn't listed as a romance on IMDb, even though she thought it might be before. But it is, it should be. You know, it's from that moment when you messaged me was pretty much the turning point moment in the film where she goes to mm-hmm. Paulie to declare her um, love for him. And then, of course, that beautiful last scene where she cycles along to his house and they both sit there on the steps with, with guitars. Yeah. You know, they sing that song, Anyone Else But You by the Paulie mm. Peaches. I don't know the song, but so, it's just such a nice way. I mean, you yeah. hear it on the soundtrack performed by the band and then they perform it literally themselves to, to almost bookend the film. I mean, yeah. the more I talk about it, actually, the, the more I'm kind of convincing myself I like it more than I may have thought <laughs> when I was watching it. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, I mean, Ellen Page, she's been doing TV and films since she was very, very young. I think when she was 10, she started doing films and she was 20 in this film. She's quite petite and she was playing a 16-year-old. And you can see her right now in the Umbrella Academy. And Michael Cera, he's just shining as well. We reviewed Molly's Game not too long ago where he was actually the character of Tobey Maguire. He was Mr X, wasn't he? But it was Tobey Maguire, really, that we found out. And he played that so well as well. And there was one moment where I was watching, it was Vanessa and Mark in their house. So Jennifer Garner and, and Jason Bateman. And this is where Ellen Page or Juno was having a complete meltdown about what he had just told her. And it's almost like he was sat there watching. You could see almost like his mind was going, wow, we've got a really good young actress right in front of us here. And it was just silence and letting her just kick off. And you really got to see how good an actress she is. And she did get nominated for an Oscar for this film as well. I think I came out of this thinking that it is her film. You you can't help but feel that it's her film. And yes, the the ensemble cast was amazing. But it's very much her. And I think the, the only potential criticism I could have had of it, which I did feel at times, was that she was almost, I think I talked about this just a bit earlier, almost too smart for a, for a girl like that. But, mm. but having said that, I think because there are those moments where we get underneath her skin and we see her for who she really is, and there's that vulnerability there that's not quite as brash and confident as a lot of her dialogue seems to be, then I'm going to forgive it for that. And I think that because that's really probably would have been my only major criticism of it, and also because I think this is truly quite unique in pairing it with a film like Little Miss Sunshine. I mean, you've had Captain Fantastic recently, but it's not quite as quaint and as quirky as this. I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a nine. Nine? That's good. And I'm going to give it a 10. Because wow! I, hey. I love it. I love it. I, I, I forgot how good it was. And um, I remember watching it at the cinema the first time and I thought, this is a really cool film and came out with a kind of warm glow, let's just say, because it gives you, leaves you with that feeling. And it is heartbreaking in places. And it's, it's got all mix of emotions. So I love it. 10 out of 10 for me. Do you know what? I think any film, I was thinking about this the other day, what separates the great films that we're scoring from the rest. And I think it's probably whenever we score a film that's nine or upwards, I think it almost takes it into, Mm. for us anyway, you know, that kind of almost Hall of Fame type bracket for for me and you. (laughs) There are, there are, you know, and to get, for us to, for us to give these films nine plus, 
we definitely, definitely rate them. We're tough nuts, aren't we, really? <laughs> I think we are, but you have to be, because every film we watch, obviously, we're picking it because we, we love it. Yeah, yeah. Right, so on to the reviews for next week. All right, cool. So you give me a genre first. It is comedy. Comedy. Right, okay. Well, I've got 21. Number 14. You got a smile on your face. (laughs) Number 14 is Napoleon Dynamite. I have not seen that. Have you not? Okay. (laughs) Okay, I'll tell you what, in actual fact, on the subject of off-ball, quirky, low-key, indie-type comedies, it's like that. It's out there. It's out there, yeah, 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 yeah. So, Napoleon Dynamite came out in 2004, a listless and alienated teenager decides to help his new friend win the class presidency in their small Western high school whilst he must deal with his bizarre family life back home. I mean, it sounds like it's quirky, doesn't it? And this stars John Hedder, Efren Ramirez and John Grease. Yeah, this is quite a unique film. And it's streaming on Now TV and Sky Go, and you can rent or buy for most online channels. And interestingly, there's a Curzon online channel as well now. Did you know that? Yeah, they've hmm. got their own kind of online player. These and Talk Talk TV, their new ones on my list. So right. what are you going to pick then? What is it? It's fantasy. Fantasy, okay. Let me have a look. I have... A very small number. I've got eight. I will go for number five. I've got It's a Wonderful Life, which is a fantasy in 1946 with James Stewart and Donna Reed. Oh, my goodness. I mean, this is a classic, isn't it? This is a proper, is a classic. proper classic. Yeah. Christmas movie. It's a Christmas movie. It's nearly Christmas, isn't it? <laughs> it is, exactly. Get, gets everyone into that kind of Christmas, yeah. warm, fuzzy feeling. I actually watched this for the very, very first time, only about eight months ago. Can you believe that? It's been around for quite a while. I know. <laughs> so, I know. Mind well, you, I, mean, I, hadn't, I hadn't watched Leon until this yeah, time around as well. Yeah. So. so it's a wonderful life. It's a familiar tale that's been rehashed many, many times. An angel is sent from heaven to help with a desperately frustrated businessman by showing him what life would have been like if he had never existed. And this is directed by Frank Capra, starring Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed and Lionel Barrymore. And at the moment, it's rent or buy from Amazon Prime and most online channels, Sky, Apple TV, etc. But do take a look after you listen to this podcast, because you may find it on another channel that may not be spending your pennies. Now, next week, there's an exciting new introduction to the um, podcast in the form of a brand new fancy pants microphone, right, Sarah? Mm. Yeah, have you got one as well? (laughs) I haven't, but I am now tempted because what might happen now is that you're going to sound even more beautiful and I'm going to just sound all like tinny. So, I mean, we'll see how it goes because it might well be I'm just forced into like getting a nice microphone purely because we're just going to be out of kilter now. Are we saying goodbye to our socks? You've made that decision. You're saying goodbye to your sock. We can keep the sock. We can keep the sock. You're right. You can put the sock over the top. Of course, we can keep the sock. You can put the sock over the top. (laughs) I don't know why. Just felt a strange thing to say there. But yeah, you're right. You can keep the sock. 
I mean, to be honest, one of the reasons I want you to use it is because secretly I just want to get one. So it will just, you know, it will mean, you know, we might just even things up and it forces me to buy one. I'm going to sound like Angela Rippon as soon as I use it. There we go. Or, or the Channel 4, Channel Radio 4 lady. Hello. <laughs> Maybe I'll sound like, uh, you know, Will Ferrell Anchorman if I get one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Okay, cool. So have a good week. And you. Um, happy telly watching. Happy telly watching, happy film watching, and we will see everybody next week. Bye. Bye. A bit of a strange <laughs> one there. Go on to it again. Bye. That's beautiful. And again, go on, and again. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure about that one. <laughs> it's a different type of podcast. <laughs>